Hey, Changemakers, welcome back to the Engage for Good podcast. I'm your host, Allie Murphy. Have you ever found yourself grappling with the constantly shifting landscapes of ESG and CSR? Wondering how to truly engage your employees and consumers? What about how to navigate the complex world of advocacy? My guess is yes. And if you answered yes, you are in for a treat. Joining me today is Chris Noble, Care.org's Head of Corporate Partnerships. Together, we'll shed light on how nonprofits can not only navigate these challenges, but thrive in the process. We're breaking down how to harness the power of corporate collaboration to supercharge your mission and build robust partnerships. And we'll do it by talking about CSR, advocacy, ESG, and the key audiences of employees and consumers. Before we dive in, a little background on CARE. This nonprofit partners with trailblazing companies to fight poverty and empower women and girls worldwide. Their global partnerships impact 50 million lives annually. Wow. Through collaborations with industry leaders like AB InBev, Boeing, Gap, Hershey, Lululemon, Mars, PepsiCo, and a whole bunch more. So here's what's on the menu for today's episode. The intricate connections and distinctions between ESG, CSR, and advocacy. Best practices for crafting impactful corporate social impact campaigns. The importance of aligning business structure with effective partnership strategies. Key trends Chris sees on the horizon in our space. How millennials are driving ethical storytelling. Strategies for leading a team in the face of life and death challenges. And Chris will let us in on how he keeps his personal well-being a priority amidst really big responsibilities. And with that, let's get started. This episode is brought to you by CARE. Hey, Chris, welcome to the podcast. Allie, thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. I am excited to have you here. If our uh, pre-talk before we turned on the recorders was an indication, this is going to be a fabulous episode. So (laughs) we're going to kick things off. We are all more than what we do for work. Tell us a little bit about you as a person, as Chris Noble, and also what you do at care.org. Sure. So uh, me as a person, golly. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I've... I've, uh, I have been variously a high-tech startup guy and an agency person, and I worked in politics for a while. We don't talk about it. Um, okay. But the, the common thread and what I've been able to you know, be part of the last 25 years is um, things that bring people with live hearts and live minds to something larger than themselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, most recently before CARE, I was at, I led... Matchfire, which is a social purpose agency, we we show up all the time in you know EFG stuff, um, yeah. and and that was eight years of bringing brands and corporations together in cause marketing, which was great. Um, but I also kind of saw the need to play at a different level. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas you know the Matchfire work is fantastic. We we might raise seven or eight million dollars a year for good causes, but we don't do any of the actual good cause right we're just we're we're matchmaking um at care.org i lead a team that is responsible for all the corporate partnerships of care so um we raise in the you know 35 to 40 million dollars a year for good causes um from amazing 
partners that want to make a difference in their supply chain mm-hmm. will make a difference in the world. So it's your your Boeings and, and Snapchat and Meta that are doing mostly humanitarian contribution, right? UPS that's helping with logistics and giving to our emergency surge fund. But at the same time, Pepsi, Mars, Cargill, Hershey that are making investments in their supply chain that help to um, increase living income and wealth of shareholder farmers that help reduce poverty globally. And that's, you know, nothing against our our cause marketing friends, right? And I still do a ton of that. Right. But every day, my team's really engaged with corporations um, trying to really make their dollars go to impact. Um, it's a pretty good gig. I think so. Okay. And then I'm going to put you on the spot. What is a, a fun or an interesting fact about you or something totally separate from work? Completely separate from work in any way. <laughs> There's nothing interesting at all about me. No. I find that really hard to believe. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's fun. It, it's, um, I like puzzles. And I find oh, heck yes. I find a lot of them at work is the thing. So I, it's I, I it's a hard question to answer. Like I read tarot, I play fantasy football. Yeah. But but the day to day stuff. Uh, I have a really dear friend who says to me, if ever I'm in a bad mood, no, we'll talk to all the people. Mm-hmm. Because what I find is in my day to day conversation with the people who are engaged in this stuff, who have the live minds, who have tough problems, I, that's where my fun is. It's why I like talking to David so much. <laughs> I'll tell him you said that. Please do. Okay, so CARE was founded in 1945 with the creation of the CARE Package. You talked about this a little bit already, but you're a leading humanitarian organization fighting global poverty, but you also have a focus on women and girls. You've talked about some corporate partners, but how do you work with corporate partners to align on your cause area? 100%. So yeah, let me, I want to dress up that care package thing for just a second because yeah. it's important to our founding 75 years ago doing humanitarian relief in war-torn Europe. Mm-hmm. But it's also important for anybody in the audience who's ever sent a care package because that's where the coinage comes from. If you yeah. send a care package to your kid in college or to your mom, it comes from that act of generosity 75 years ago, which is, which cool is pretty cool. founding statement, right? You bring it all the way forward. And the way we work with corporate partners is pretty simple. Um, Strong women make for strong communities. Strong communities make for resilient supply chains, for strong consumer audiences, for strong employees. So if you look at it that way, right, um, we work with uh, Lululemon and Gap in the garment and textile supply chain. And it's all about reducing gender-based violence in that chain and empowering women workers. And the the big secret, not so secret, is if you empower women, you're building the community stronger. The the joke I like to make is um, when we have a, a, a village savings and loan, one of our big programs is to uh, we've got almost 30 million people in those globally. And the key to that is mostly women coming together to have community savings that they turn and invest back in the community. 
Now, for somebody like a Cargill or a Mars or a Hershey, these are, are women and men in the cocoa supply chain that are increasing their ability to make ends meet by creating these savings and loans, but also increasing their ability to invest in each other. So somebody has an idea for a or for a way to serve this community better, or um, buy equipment for the farms, right? All these things come out of that ability to save. And if you focus on women, you're you're guaranteeing those dollars go back in the community. My my little joke is: think of a U.S. market. If you okay. give women extra money, they invest it in the family. You give men extra money, they buy cigars. <laughs> Not true and unfair, but it's a reasonable analogy. And so making, mm-hmm. helping women to be stronger is, is core, not just to CARES business, but to the business models of our partners. That's a really good point. So you've been with the organization for almost four years. What are some of the changes that you've seen in that time? And you've talked about a bunch of corporate partners already. How do they feed into that? So, yeah, the, I mean, the most serious change in that time, it's not a good one. Yeah. Um, so uh globally, right, we made a lot of progress in the years leading up to COVID in reducing poverty or at least holding it steady in right. global hunger. Since COVID, there's a lot of studies that show we've taken a serious step back. And that because women had to leave the workforce to care for kids, right? Kids are out of school globally. Everybody's home right. globally. Women are leaving the workforce globally. Um, so there's a lot of studies that show that women are hardest hit by that. Um, so that, of course, affects our core audience. It also affects our corporate partners because they're learning where their supply chains are fragile. They're learning uh, that they need to um, invest in advocacy, not just in CSR, not just in um, not just in their ESG strategy, mm-hmm. but for programs like Feed the Future here in the U.S that help reduce hunger globally, right? And so to your question, what we've learned is that we've taken a pretty serious step backwards in some of the advances we made in the previous 10 years. And the corporate role is to help innovate and invest. Corporations aren't going to solve it by themselves. Right. But help innovate and invest so that we can have some new growth on top of what we've lost. And to really be, in a lot of cases, the leaders so that institutions follow. Mm-hmm. You can want the U.S. government to do something, get corporations excited about doing it too. And that's a good place to start. So we're going to talk about four key components, or I'm going to call them avenues, that practitioners rely on when developing partnership. You've talked a little bit about advocacy. So advocacy CSR, ESG, and then what I'm going to call key audiences. So consumers and employees. Let's, that's a lot. So let, let's start with advocacy, which is a powerful tool for driving social change. Can you give us an example of an advocacy initiative you've worked on with a corporate partner and what made it particularly successful? Yeah, sure, Ken. And actually, so um, I want to also just quickly say that. Yeah a little bit of the secret sauce at care, right? Mm-hmm. A lot, right? We're in a hundred plus countries helping about a hundred million people a year. Um, but the, the, the secret sauce is we're community organizers first. And the programming that comes in, village savings and loan, 
um, our women's entrepreneur, uh, women's economic justice programs. Um, those programs are all kind of based on, on the back of the community and help to strengthen the community. It becomes important because the way we've grown our corporate relationships is by having a 360 degree view of what the corporate partner needs. Mm-hmm. So it, it is these four things. And a lot of nonprofits are great in one or great in two. And we're really working to be, to have a, a solid answer in all four areas. So okay. um, uh, I'll take advocacy first. Uh, in advocacy, we've got two main uh, U.S. Uh, advocacy initiatives this year. One is uh, the reauthorization of Feed the Future. And most of our agribusiness partners are aligned in that. And we've even had folks uh, from Mars and folks from Cargill join us on the Hill for legislative lobbying days to reauthorize and get Feed the Future as strong as it can be in uh, fighting hunger uh, globally. And for those who aren't familiar, what is Feed the Future? So Feed the Future is the U.S. government's global hunger and food security initiative. Um, It works hand in hand with partner countries to develop their agriculture sectors to break the cycle of poverty and hunger, particularly with smallholder farmers. And again, that smallholder farmer is integral to the supply chain and the businesses of our agribusiness partners. Absolutely. In everybody's best interest, best business interest, best interest in fighting hunger and poverty, if the smallholder farmer is first and foremost recognized and aided. So there's U.S. government funds that go to that. There's corporate funds that go to that. um, And there's a whole bunch of different programmatic components underneath that that help them um, have better agricultural practices, financial literacy, uh, village savings and loans programs to increase income and wealth, all those different things. Uh, and we actually have a framework called She Feeds the World, mm-hmm. which encompasses all those different things you can do to help that smallholder farmer be stronger. And a lot of that comes through uh, the lens of Feed the Future from the U.S. government. Are you familiar at all with cafe practices once upon a time from Starbucks? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I wrote my senior thesis on that in college. I was uh, international development is my major. There you go. <laughs> so you're speaking my language. Well, come on over to our side, Allie. Oh, okay. Do you have a podcast over there? Because I like podcasting. We, we, we don't yet, but I would love to start one. <laughs> okay, I'm getting um, a sidetrack. Anywho. We have a podcast at Care called, um, oh shoot, I'm going to get it wrong. But it's really cool because it's about failure and learning from failure. Oh, and yes. It's, yeah, it's a really good, really good podcast. I, if I get the name of it, I, you can drop it in the show notes. Yeah, um, we can find that after and drop it in the show notes. Yeah, it's great. But anyway, long story short, um, the other big advocacy moment for us is coming up in October, and it's going to be um, uh, to help uh, healthcare workers globally, frontline healthcare workers. And again, mm-hmm. same kind of thing. It's the training they need, the tools they need. There's U.S. legislation there. And just the same way we had agribusiness partners helping us with Feed the Future, I anticipate we will have other partners helping us with the healthcare initiative. Absolutely. So advocacy some might say could fall under CSR. But we're talking about them almost as separate entities. How do you see them as different in your work and what best practices or advice would you want to share related to the CSR side of this discussion? Oh, that's a really good question. So um, I actually think that uh, absolutely, obviously can fall under CSR. For us, it's a whole separate discipline. And Mm -hmm. very often, 
we're not working with the social impact professional at right. the partners. Uh, we're working with the government affairs, public policy, or even the comms side of the house. So I separate them because I'm looking at the 360 relationship. And when the corporation looks at it, they look at it by how they're organized and structured. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the tasks of advocacy live with government affairs, right? Might be under the general umbrella of CSR, but CSR- Might ladder up into that. Yeah, no, whoever, broad, but yeah. Right? Yeah. Right? And, and, and that's one of the problems in our industry, right? Is the, the alphabet soup and coinage that we have. <laughs> it's just I don't know what silly. you're talking about. Just kidding. Right? It, it just, it's really silly sometimes because at the end of the day, it's what are your interests? What are the corporate interests? Where are they aligned? And we mm-hmm. break them down into our little buckets. And a lot of the CSR that we do uh, with corporate partners really falls into the humanitarian bucket. Right. So we have um, really strong CSR relationships with UPS, for example, um, that uh, and Coca-Cola. Both are great partners in our emergency surge fund. And that emergency surge fund stands there so that care can act first or close to first whenever something happens in the world. ABMBEV is another good example of a corporate partner and their CSR work, although that is entirely devoted to Ukraine relief and the d- folks who are displaced by the Ukraine conflict. And, and that's really, uh, for us, CSR kind of uh, tends in that direction. It's what are you doing um, as a good corporate citizen of the world because you're driven to do it, not mm-hmm. necessarily because it affects your supply chain or one of your core audiences. Interesting, because some people would say CSR, yes, can be more altruistic and more because it's good to do. But CSR can also benefit your bottom line in a different way than maybe supply chain. You're moving your head. What are your thoughts? I super, no, I, I super agree with that statement. I just yeah. see the hockey puck moving. Yeah, okay. I, I really do. Like, so I, I agree. I, I think that right now, CSR is our big bucket. Yep. And, right, but if you look at the... Um, we'll just keep going with acronym soup, right? If you look yeah. at the ESG movement. That's me, my next question. Okay. And you look at the sustainability movement, mm-hmm. right? You can see that there's a separation between, again, think about how the business is organized and forget so much what the name, what the labels are, right? You can see the separation between CSR functions and what I would call supply chain core business functions. You're absolutely yep. right. There's absolutely overlap right now. But yep. more and more companies are waking up and saying, oh, not only do I need to have a carbon reduction commitment, CSR, ESG, I don't know, right? But I don't know the I companies to, know either. I need to change my procurement policies so that within my supply chain, I don't. Ha- I can make good on that overall commitment. I can't just make a commitment at the top and have it happen. And so that is going to become, if it hasn't already, a business operations question. Mm-hmm. And, and at some point, that borderline, which is fuzzy right now, yep, is going to be a little more rigid because the biz ops people can be informed by CSR, but it's going to be their responsibility to get it done. And that's right, that friction right there between I'm following our ESG guidelines and I'm running our business mm-hmm. is friction that I personally am leaning into and going, okay, great. Y'all can have it both ways. You can have social impact professionals who are thinking about what the footprint of the company is in the world. 
and you can have supply chain focused professionals who are thinking about how to make that real. But it's going to end up being in two different places. It's just going to. Oh my gosh. I feel like we could dissect this forever, but I want to continue. <laughs> my brain is like, oh, I have so many ideas. I want to continue with the acronym soup, though, because we said we were going to start with something and cascade it down. So ESG, okay. part of this acronym soup. Some say it is increasingly important for corporations. Some say the term it has been used and abused. It is incredibly political. How are you thinking about ESG and how can nonprofits approach this? I'm going to call it facet of the corporate social impact pie mm. for lack of a better term so so i'm gonna i'm gonna oh man pie is such a good metaphor but i'm gonna put a different one back in play right i like it that's probably where the puck is moving right okay and so how can the corporation how can the nonprofit skate to where that is right mm, okay so take away again take away esg as a uh a, 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 not as a construct but as a term just take away and let's bye bye. Let's talk about license to operate because that's what we're really talking about, right? As a corporation, I have a license to operate in X geography because I am obeying this set of regulations. So there you go. That's real. Like you can it, people can talk about the politics of ESG all they want to do, but license to operate my business is an existential thing that I've got to focus on. So as a nonprofit. And not every nonprofit can engage in this, right? Uh, but what we do at CARE, we have a whole group uh, that's the CARE Impact Partners. That's a consulting group that is dedicated to helping corporations wrestle with gender and supply chain issues. So it's an area where CARE has expertise where we have programming for sure, but we're not selling programming in this moment. We've got expertise and we're bringing our consulting acumen to a real problem, reduce gender-based violence in textile mm -hmm. that our corporate partners have, right? So what is the difference? Does it fall into the operate license to operate bucket ESG because it's more of the consulting side whereas I feel like we talked about this a little bit already on advocacy but that was more programmatic I think that's exactly right yeah in okay. fact I would, I would say functionally advocacy mm -hmm. is about setting policy yep right um ESG is about adhering to policy mm -hmm. and it's your how-to area right if you want to stay in the metaphor then then CSR is more about the communities that I'm serving. The last audiences are now, what's the story I'm telling? I've set a policy. I figured out how the company's going to act within that policy. I've acted. There's some impact. Now, how do I tell that story? How do I, mm -hmm. in an ethical way, tell the story of how the corporation has engaged with a community for best benefit for all. So that's impact communications, it's impact storytelling. We can put another half a dozen buzzwords onto that. But mm -hmm. I would rather describe it by, again, the effect on the audience. So who's yeah. involved there? Well, that's employee engagement is what we might call it, or consumer engagement. Those are the two big buckets. Those are the two big buckets. But when we think of a 360-degree relationship, it really is, what's the... What's the theory of change we're trying to establish? 
advocacy comes in there, there might be consulting in there. How do we affect that change alongside the corporation program? What's the impact? How do we tell that story, both to increase our efforts going forward, but to inspire others to follow the lead? That's that's it. It's, it's really like... It's, it's that not, simple. <laughs> it's not as complicated as people make it. It makes me crazy. Like, it's just not that complicated. What do I want to do? How am I going to do it? What was the result? Who do I tell and how? It's amazing how we've taken all of these terms and these huge ideas and this incredible amount of work. And then we're like, hold on, wait, it comes down into four pieces. It really, it's just, it's basic. It's and Doesn't and, that mean it's easy to do, I will say. Every piece of it's hard. And yeah. actually, that's one of the things that I try to work with my team on, right? Um, none of it's easy. And there are days, right? It's one of the things uh, I'm, I'm answering questions before you're asking them, but uh, <laughs> one of the, this one is of the, how your brain works, right? It really is. One of I the like core it. differences between running an agency in mm-hmm. social impact and leading a team in fundraising for impact is I've learned so much about what urgency really is in the last three years. Oh my gosh, yes. It, it, there's, there's very rarely is there a marketing crisis where lives are on the line. But at CARE, I can really clearly say, oh no, we need to do this right now because lives are at stake. And it's, it's very clarifying because there are days when there's a real emergency and you have to respond. And, there's a, and there are days when there's urgency it's important, but there isn't actually life at stake. It's really helped me. And it's, I think, helped my team because I get to go, look, all of this is hard. All of it's hard. Just because it's hard, it doesn't mean we need to be glum about doing it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean we have to be over serious about ourselves. Don't take yourself too seriously. The mission's freaking serious enough. You don't have to take yourself too seriously. And so that's what I love about engaging in this stuff is back to the, back to the outline. You can simplify <laughs> the alphabet soup into pieces. Those yeah. pieces are always hard. But it, very, very quickly you learn what is life and death and what isn't. It and things so in perspective. You get great perspective and you can bring your partners into that perspective because it's the same for them, right? They, they're talking about existential from a business standpoint. And it's one more degree of seriousness when we're working together. Okay, so you opened a different can of worms when you said team. And now I'm going to go down that avenue because that is a passion point of mine. Take it. Working in a cause area that is so important and in many cases can be life and death. You said don't take yourself too seriously. This stuff is hard. How do you and how do your team actually put that into practice? I'm not saying you get it right all the time, but how do you take care of yourselves and keep moving forward and find some some levity from time to time amid the hard? It's so much a part of me, it's hard to tear it out. But yeah. um, it, 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 starts, it starts the way we started, you and I, before we were recording. Find out how the people are doing. And, and we start almost all, all of our, all my one-on-ones, I start with, how are you? And for real, not like, hey, how was your day? Oh, I'm good. Yeah. It's like, how right, are yeah, you? No, 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 no
Um, yeah, none of that. Like, how are you really? Dig, dig in. You have to build trust in order to be able to ask that question and get the right answer. But if you ask that question with integrity, you will get trust and you'll get the right answer over time. And, and then it's actually easy to bring humor to it because humor is only bad when it's fake or when right. you're trying to use humor to cover something up. Um, so, and, and I want to just extend that because it's, it's way too ingrained with me, but um, it's the biggest single coaching that I try to put out is not just take time for each other and try to understand where you're at and where people are, but also too with partners. Because all, very often with a corporate partner, without naming names, there'll be a behavior that we don't understand as a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. They they put down their they put down their tools and walked away in a huff. They put they slam their fist on the table. Not really, but right there's there's something wrong here, and we don't know what it is. And we'll, that will happen very often. These are global multi-country partnerships somebody somewhere is going to do something that we don't understand that seems off-putting or like they're unhappy and the first thing i try to get people to do is don't react to the behavior find out where the behavior is coming from if somebody's acting in a way you don't expect there is pressure coming from somewhere so build your relationship first so you can ask about that pressure if you get to a point where you can then laugh about that pressure, you've won the day. Absolutely. Thank God. I don't know if that was helpful or not, but that's that. that's no, that was that was great. Like, I could have a whole <laughs> podcast on just that topic, but alas, we are not going to have that much time because this is not a four-hour-long podcast. So I'm going to transition us back a little bit. Um, I want to ask you about key trends, but before we do that, when we start to close, is there anything else you want to add related to the consumer and the employee piece? the corporate partners who do that piece best are listening. Mm. So again, not naming names, we have a corporate partner with a significant degree of Ukrainian employees. We have a different corporate partners, a significant degree of Pakistani uh, employees or Pakistani heritage employees, right? So, and when those different, like a disaster happens in Pakistan, Ukraine conflict happens, they know that it's something their employee base cares about because they're listening. And it's the Mm -hmm. same thing. I mean, I've been a marketer forever. And it's the same thing with good marketing. Know what your audience cares about. Know what new audience you might want to reach. And know that a message of supporting women and girls globally is a pretty strong message in today's market. Our, 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 most of our, most of our successful cause marketing campaigns the last two, three years have been in the fashion and uh, uh, the fashion and beauty business. And it's not okay. by accident that it's been the fashion and beauty business. Our yeah. corporate partners are listening and they know that helping women and girls globally is not just good for the world, but, but it's, it's good pretty for good, them too. good business when you're uh, selling, you know, mostly to women and girls. Mm-hmm. Go figure. Mm-hmm. Okay, so trends-wise, this landscape, I mean, I've been with Engage for Good for four years now. I was new to this world, and in that short time, a ton has changed. What trends do you foresee? What are you paying attention to? And how should organizations be open to that? I feel like this is where I'm supposed to say AI. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would disagree with that. 
right? I mean, it's the, it's the biggest trend of this next generation. Um, and nonprofits should be focused on it for more than just proposal writing and content assembly and content creation. Because uh, especially nonprofits that are engaged in any kind of fight against poverty or uh, a fight for equity mm-hmm. needs to figure out, just like we had to figure out with the internet a million years ago and with social media a little more recently, needs to figure out how a disenfranchised audience can gain power from new tools. So that's the really the mammoth trend in our industry is that one that's coming. Yeah. Um, the, the next mammoth trend that you're going to see is um, you're going to see whether whether ESG continues as a coinage or whatever the coinage becomes, you're going to see more companies getting better and better at ethical storytelling and telling their story of social impact. And that is directly related to millennials in the workforce. That's yeah, me. Right? I'm, I myself am three millennials. Um, <laughs> But you're pulling but, extra weight. Nice job. There you go. Thank you. But millennials in the workforce and millennials who are going to be the biggest consumer bubble like to spend their money on things that make them feel good. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to, and you see all these studies, right? I'm not going to overemphasize that they want to be part of something good, something larger. Let's just mm-hmm. leave it at they'd like to spend their money in ways that make them feel good. And that's the biggest trend. That's not going to stop for another 15, 20 years when something else happens. Well, yeah, when something else happens. Global warming. <laughs> Climate change and global warming is the third major trend. But I don't want to go into that one today because that would just depress everybody. Okay, so what you're saying is we just need to have more podcast conversations. We'll bring you back in the future. You know, I love this particular podcast. I think it's my, I think, I don't know if you give out jackets, but I think I'm a four-timer as of this podcast. Oh, I don't know. I'll have to connect with uh, Pete and Megan and see. There you go. Like a Letterman jacket for sports, but for podcast appearance instead. Yeah, something like that. The EFG Letterman jacket? Yes. I want one too. Okay, lightning round. Two questions. One we talked about a little bit, but I'm going to challenge you to answer it differently. And then end question. So number one, what steps or actions do you take to ensure that your well-being doesn't get overlooked by the important work that you're working on? And I know you're pretty involved in it, but what is something that you do to take care of yourself? It's the dullest answer ever. That's okay. It's your answer. I try to walk at least five miles a day. Heck yes. That's Uh, not dull. That's great. And it's harder now that I have to be on the gosh darn camera every day. You mm-hmm. be back in the day when we didn't have to be face to face in any engagement. I could do conference calls and walk and talk, and it was actually better for my focus, better for everything because the walking helps resettle, reground me. There's no, there's there's no fuzz, there's no white noise. It's just me and my feet going through the world. And I live in New York, so it's a great place to go walking. I love that answer. I have a treadmill desk that I don't use on calls because I move too much, but it is some of my favorite time to work and I'm most productive when I walk on it and when I get outside. The body moves and the brain follows, you know? It does. Okay, last closing question. Where can people learn more about you and care and do you have any upcoming things that they should be aware of? Uh, Yeah, let's do the upcoming things first really quickly. Um, 
for anybody who's going to be in town during UN General Assembly week, uh, so September 18th on, there are a whole host of uh, care events that are happening. Um, our CEO is leading a panel discussion on um, supply chain and gender with Cargill and um, Mars and Starbucks. So it, it just this kind of thing that we've been talking about, uh, live main stage. Um, folks can reach me at CF Noble on, are we calling it X? I guess we're calling it X. I don't know. Yes. X or Twitter, whatever, whichever way you feel about it, you can reach me at CF Noble. Um, and then I personally am going to be at Sustainable Brands uh, with a panel on um, how businesses can accelerate social impact and joined by MasterCard, Unilever, and AB InBev. Uh, and that's Sustainable Brands October, I think it's the 16th in San Diego. So I, I know this audience, if folks are around Unga Week, stop and say hi, reach out, let me know. Uh, we can grab you and pull you into something. For sure, would love to see anybody who's showing up as Sustainable Brands. Wonderful. Well, Chris, thanks so much for joining me, for opening my mind to so many different things and for sharing your insights with our audience. We will include all of those links, including the CARE podcast, once I get it, and the show notes at engageforgood.com. Great. And, well, yeah, I'm so sorry. Thanks. You know, chris.noble at care.org also works. Chris.noble. At care.org. care.org. Okay, wonderful. That's probably awesome. easier. Chris, A lot of people are off X. Yeah, it's an interesting, interesting change. Anywho, we can continue this conversation offline. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Ali. Take care. The Engage for Good podcast is produced in partnership with True Story FM, engineering by Pete Wright. Music this week is by Jay Putty and Rex Banner. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, we hope you'll consider doing just that for our show. But the best thing you can do to support Engage for Good is simply to share the show with a friend or colleague. Thank you for listening.